Hi, so Happy New Year. Um, let's just wait for everyone as per usual to get into the room, get their audio sorted, get your mugs of tea or whatever it is ready. Um, while you do that, my name is Nanfuk Wong. I am a medical doctor, also a yoga teacher, training with Colin uh, as a yoga therapist. So um, just a kind of a quick disclaimer first, just today, I think we all know the topic is gonna to be tea for trauma. Um, obviously some of the topic or conversation or whatever it may be, can be potentially triggering and uh, we are aware of that. So if you want to keep your camera off at any point or turn it off at any point, you're more than welcome to. Uh, if it becomes overwhelming and you would like to leave, you're welcome to, but it would be nice to, if you just feedback to us or send us an email or get in touch with us by any means, maybe even social media, just to let us know that you're okay. Or if there's anything that we can do um, in order to support, that would be very, very welcomed. Anyway, over to Colin. Um, I was about to say good morning, good evening. Um, tears for trauma. Um, the first question for me that comes up is, is what is trauma? Um, what is the cause of trauma? Um, does it also, for me, does it reside in any particular place in the body or the mind? Um, how does trauma actually affect us? I think is sort of like the next sort of question that I move on from that. And are there degrees of trauma? So is there kind of like a light trauma or is a deep trauma? What, you know, has trauma got any degrees associated with it? And are our behaviors and how are our behaviors tainted by traumas as well? Um, I also sort of want to understand what the primary elements are that we're dealing with, with trauma. Um, and another question for me is, can anything itself be traumatic? So it's, and then I, I think from there, I, I want to sort of ask, what are the approaches to dealing with trauma um, at either end of the spectrum of this? I don't know if that makes any sense at all. Us. And I think the definition of trauma is a very good place to start as always. So what I found is trauma now, first of all, can be physical, can obviously also be mental and emotional and also psychological. And I think most likely we'll delve more into the psychological, mental, emotional ones today. Um, but still, tra traumatic, a physical trauma like the scar tissues or an operation you have had, a broken bones or any serious injury, that in itself can can also be associated with traumatic experience as well. And I, I am a believer that phys any physical trauma, more often than not, it will be linked to a, a psychological and emotional, or even from a yoga term, energetic components of it as well. Um, so the trauma itself is anything that disrupts the body's natural equilibrium, so kind of the natural balanced state. And it also frees us in the state of hyper arousal and fear um, so kind of perpetually kept you in that stress response where like has something coming at you or you feel feeling physically hurt. Um, as I say, it can be just an injury, but it can also be a mental condition that caused by severe shock uh, itself, um, that the harmful effects can last for much longer than the actual physical um, presence, sorry, of the stimulants of the trauma itself. Um, now, the DSM-5, so the Diagnostic and Statistical Manual of Mental Disorder, uh, define trauma as the symptoms that occurs um, follow exposure to a traumatic event that involves actual or threatened death, serious injuries, or sexual violence. So their, their definition is much more severe. But I think I may tend to agree with Colin, it can be less of a severity, it can be more subjective as well. Colin, what do you think? Well, it's interesting because I spoke to, um, I spoke to three people earlier on today, um, not as a survey, but just, um, just as part of the work with them. And one person's moving house and they've lived in the same house for 25 years. And, um, it's interesting because you know I started talking to her and she said that you know I'm 
absolutely exhausted. My body aches all over. I'm, you know, I really can't open my eyes. I, I, I'm just, you know, I've been actually just trying to look after myself, but nothing is working. And the, the interesting thing is she started to talk about, you know, I just thought it would be really easy. I thought I would, you know, just move it to come in, we'd pack the whole thing up, we'd, um, it would just be boom, boom, and that was it. And actually going through a lot of stuff and filtering things out and what to keep, what to get rid of, you know, the children aren't helping me, no one else is helping me, I'm actually doing this all on my own. And you started to sort of begin to understand that there was something going on because there was something kind of within the whole of this, this, like you mentioned, some sort of big change or a big shock to the system at a level of the body or the mind or the emotions that actually create this kind of, this feeling for this person. Next person I, I spoke to um, is recovering from an operation for cancer. So it's been an insertion within the front of the body and the body's been opened out, the intestines were taken out, an operation was done to take some tumors out. Uh, all of this was put back in again, the body was stitched up and um, interesting guy, but quite a strong guy. And um, he was really flawed, you know, he's sort of really surprised just how long it was taking for everything to heal. He was turning around and saying he was just really unfamiliar with the pain that was in the abdomen. He said, you know, if I've got pain in the arms and legs, I sort of almost know what to do with that kind of pain, but I've got this kind of, this deep throbbing pain that's constantly there. And, you know, he's really surprised by the nature of the pain. And it, it, it's, it, it sort of brings up numbers of questions for him. You know, what will he be able to do? How will he be able to do it? How's this, how long is this pain gonna be here? What's he gonna be able to do in his life afterwards? And you can almost see the whole, everything of what's going on within this. And again, he's got another pattern that is very similar to the other person. He's deeply exhausted deeply, deeply, deeply exhausted. Um, and then I um, spoke with a, another person who's um, going through a divorce and divorce that she's going through, it's been very, very difficult. Um, she wants to keep custody of her children. Her ex is trying to fight that custody and wants custody of the children as well. But the ex is doing everything to sort of undermine her and also to make her think or prove to the world that she's actually mad when she's not mad in order to try and wrestle this control. And again, she is deeply exhausted, can't get up before 10 o'clock. She, you know, people are giving her advice left, right, and center, which they feel are right for her, but actually means that they're not listening to her. So there's a whole kind of series, sort of, I don't know, maybe today's trauma day um, in the clinic, but it was just, there's this sort of, you see these sort of three cases. Um, can you see the sort of threads of the trauma within these three cases? Yes. And I was just thinking, your, your free case has almost perfectly demonstrated how, how trauma can present in terms of timeline as well. Because the, 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 I, I completely, you know, feel for your first clients because I hate moving houses as well. I, 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 I'm somewhat of a homey person and I felt like when I live in a place, I kind of try to achieve the equilibrium in my physical space and surroundings. So whenever I'm moving house, I'm really disrupting that space and really feel the trauma in me but that's more like an acute sense that's just like a single event and um obviously may not be as big as like a natural disaster or um uh, something that's like quick and simple and finished but is it more an acute event and your second case um the cancer patient who had a surgery but still kind of struggling with recovery that in itself is, is more like a chronic phase where you have to deal with this on an ongoing basis. And obviously there are other examples like abuse as well, um, or um, physical or sexual or neglect. These are things that tend to happen on an ongoing basis. And, and that's what we call chronic um, trauma. But actually most of the time, 
is actually complex. It's like your third case where yes, but the events itself may be uh, single and quick. To be fair, your second case is more or less the same. You know, the surgery itself is single and, and quick. But then the ongoing effect is long lasting. You have the healing process and then you may be triggered and you may be re-triggered and then you get a little bit better. And then kind of the, this up and down fluctuation, that that tends to be what happened when we talk about trauma or at least a traumatic case I've seen. Um, it is not as neat and clean uh, as the definition tend to seems to suggest. And I know that's a case that uh, that's a study or research that um, Colin, you are quite familiar with as well. It's called the Adverse Childhood Experience Study that was done, I think, in America somewhere between 1995 to 1997. So to kind of um, do a more or less like a popular selective populational survey where um, they find out what kind of adverse childhood experience that people have experienced in America. And and surprisingly, actually, about two thirds of all their participants actually reports some form of trauma. Um, so something like about 28% participants received um, as a child or teenagers, 21 had sexual abuse, uh, many also experienced a divorce or parental separation or loss of a parent in some way, shapes or form, and also a parents with mental health issues as well as uh, substance use disorder. And the interesting thing is, if you have one of these adverse childhood experiences, you are actually more likely to have more than one. Um, so like about 40% of the sample actually reported there's at least two um, adverse childhood experience. And this amount of exposure or exp experience actually kind of correlates um, positively, which means the more of these experiences you have, the more likely you're going to have a long-lasting um, effects in the future into like a negative uh, ongoing life experience. So that may be like poor choices such as alcoholism, uh, multiple sexual partner, but also other uh, adverse physical and mental health uh, problems as well, depression. Um, Stanford, Stanford, sorry to stop you for a second. I, I, I keep getting a mic, um, a rubbing on a mic. Is that... Is that oh, sorry. Yeah, that's better. Is that better now. Sorry, I read them my notes. That's all right. I was just I was just checking there wasn't a small animal or something. Just <laughs> no, just me, just me resting my notes on my laptop. Thank you for catching it. That's I all right. Actually, I've heard what I said. Yeah, no, no, no. I, 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 I it's, it's it, so. Um, yeah, so I was just going to end up and say um, it increases things like actually um, physical health issues such as cancer and liver related issues, so on and so forth. So, so that was kind of interesting correlating to what you were saying, how, how one, how we experience and quantify trauma, actually also a little glimpse of what we may have as a longer term effect as well. Hmm. So what we're saying is that trauma isn't black and white um it, it's it's sometimes what happens is that you have something that's quite small traumatic like moving house but that does have a quite a strong effect on the body and the mind and the emotions um i know a couple of you here probably moved house recently and it's pretty pretty horrific um the other thing is that it's the trauma that there's to be fluctuations with trauma as well. And also what you're talking about Stanford with trauma, as in that when there is a trauma, it almost lays an imprint onto the actual person. And from that imprint, a, a sort of a root or a pattern of behavior starts to get taken. Um, yoga defines, it, it, it it's interesting because when you start to, and I, I sort of, I read um, Yoga Sutra um, earlier today, um, the first two chapters from a perspective of trauma. And actually it, it kind of, it fits trauma model completely. If you kind of go right the way through and just look at it with regard to trauma and how people are working with trauma. Um, Yoga um, says that, it, it says something very interesting that I've been reflecting on quite a lot, is that memory is born out of experience and never dies. And so for me, this is almost the first starting point of the actual process of trauma is that there is a memory associated with this. And the moment there's a memory associated with an experience, 
that memory links to a pattern, a behavioral pattern. So we've almost got a, a sort of a triad here. You've got the experience, you've got the memory, and the memory has is an impression that's left and it can be left on the surface. It can be left deep within the system. So if we think about the person that's moving house, is that almost when you start to get the process of this, starting to you know fill forms in, do various pieces, get movers in, sort of the, the imagination of the whole thing is quite easy, but actually the genuine experience of it is actually horrific. And it kind of, it lodges something within you that then creates another activity or another pattern so we've got this sort of for me this memory and this experience the combination of these things two together and then what we associate with that so this for me became, becomes one of the starting points or we don't associate with it so it can be very very shocking indeed um i want to go back to the person with cancer and also talk about and, and, and look at abuse. But I just want to, if this is okay, just do one other thing um, with regard to this, with regard to memory. Um, Della or Carol, could I just ask either of you, we're in a, a um, we were doing a, a ongoing clinics and we had a, a person visit this clinic. Do you remember this? There was, we'll call him A and he had PTSD. Can either of you describe what you remember from it? It was two years ago, it's in 19, 2000, not 19, 2019, it feels like 1919. Um, but it was, two, it was 2019, we were doing these sort of open clinic groups and there was a guy that came to visit us with PTSD. Could you describe a little bit more about either of you or both of you, what you remember from the experience? So if I just remind you about this man, he, um, he was, RAF posted to um, Oman, I believe. And there were 15 of them posted there and 14 of them went up in a plane and the plane came down and 14 people in the plane were killed. He was the only person left. And he had to bag up all of his friends' bodies and do all the DNA and label them all. He was the only person left there. Do you remember this? You guys get it. How can we forget it? it? It was, it was very interesting um, case and consultation. Can you describe any more? Um, I, I remember uh, probably Della. You'll remember more. I don't know, but I I remember um, him being a really nice guy. But when he was explaining his life, it was quite shocking, really. Um, his whole life had been turned upside down. He couldn't sleep very well. Um, he would wake up shaking in the bed. He, I think he found it difficult to sleep with his wife because it was so traumatic that he would never have a good night's sleep. Um, he, you started to do some work with him. I mean, I, I think it affected every aspect of his life so that he couldn't work he couldn't uh, function on a daily basis because he um, he just didn't know when when the trauma would would come back to him uh, and would and he would relive all of this um, and Colin started to work with him and I just remember this vigorous vigorous shaking I'll never forget actually watching this poor man shake and shake and shake and shake. It was as if, as if all this trauma was just being released. Um, but yeah, sorry, Della, do you remember more? You probably do. Yeah, there was lots of shaking and there was lots of coughing coming out, um, coughing. And what was quite interesting previous to that event, I noticed having worked with him, that he would be triggered by words, by people's behavior. Um, so you, very innocently, you could say something, but that word or that sound or what could just really set him off. And he had these coping mechanisms to try and keep him safe or everyone else safe. So 
that was really fascinating. And then when Colin worked with him, he, there was this constant coughing, a dry cough that nothing was coming out, but something was coming out. It was quite interesting and just vigorous, vigorous shaking. I mean, and he was a big guy and Colin had him in his hands and safe. It was very interesting because he's probably twice the size of Colin. And yet Colin was definitely in control. I mean, I don't think the rest of us felt like we were in control, but there was a calmness and a safety and he felt safe to just express, not that he knew, I mean, he kept on saying, I don't want to hurt you. I don't want to hurt you. But, you know, Colin was really grounded in, in just holding him and just letting it all just release. But it was really fascinating to see and quite scary actually from my point of view I don't know about Carol yeah I was terrified I'd but also just wanted to it was very very emotional yeah. really really just wanted to cry really because it was so painful for him the whole thing I mean like Della said you know the words uh, all sorts of things would noises words would just trigger him and his whole life was walking through eggshells you could see um and and just the helplessness he felt was awful absolutely awful it makes me feel quite emotional talking about it now actually it was horrible thank you thank you to both i, I it's better coming from you than from me because it, it's you you could have observed what was going on um so for I just hope that what that does is it, 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 memory is a very powerful thing and how the impression works on the body, how deep that impression goes onto the body. And then the cycle of that impression, how that impression starts to play out. And someone's asked a question here um, with regard to, do you think that when you're very tried for trauma, it may be a coping mechanism with the body and mind. And, I, I do believe this. I believe that um, when there is exhaustion within the body or exhaustion within the mind, I, we just have to check very, very carefully. And one of the checks that we do come to do when there's exhaustion is, is the body actually fatigued or is it actually the mind that's fatigued and the body is actually okay? And quite often the mind will be fatigued and the body is actually completely okay. But the body person will feel a really big sense, overwhelming sense of exhaustion real real exhaustion um so stanford sorry for interrupting that but i just i just wanted to kind of get a sense within the whole spectrum with regards to it just from moving house right the way through to the sort of the ptsd area of um of trauma and how memory becomes very important and also how it, it links to what you were talking about with regard to the evolution of patterns or how patterns come to come out of that and how behaviors start to come out of it and then you can sort of start to see pathways behaviors that people take in order to cope with traumas um, yeah and i think that the, the other beautiful thing from thank you Della and carol as you're sharing about your experience with Colin's clinic is kind of where that memory lies because yes from my learning memory definitely reside in in the brain but I think as you were describing actually very vividly the more patients I've seen or the more people I've interacted with sometimes memory is not only in our head is not only in our brain it's like in your case I would say very much in the throat in the body in like everywhere with the shaking and the coughing and and sometimes from my own personal experience, because I have quite bad physical injury uh, maybe a month or two ago, and it have hurt some part of my neck, but actually then it started hurting somewhere else where it seems to uh, old injuries and old trauma and scars being woken up by, or sensitized again by that, that um, traumatic experience, although it was physical, but something slightly deeper into it. So I, I certainly think it's a very interesting topic to explore. Where does it actually reside? And I'm sure Colin will go into it from yoga's perspective. Where does it actually reside? Um, I think the other interesting thing about the memory aspect, CS, as you was asking, is, um, is it protective? And in a certain way, I think evolutionary speaking, it is protective because the, 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 the beauty of us having a memory and quite good memory and 
in some way a memory that can be easily triggered as Stella was saying you know it can be triggered by sound or random word or random smell actually smells very very strong uh, triggering because it's uh, essentially we, we actually remember sense very very well as well as color and visual image um is that we can remember that potentially it is a scenario or situation that we won't feel safe and PTSD yes although it is a very, very, very horrible and truly horrible experience for people who've been affected in some way in, in certain situations, especially when there's actually real danger presented, it actually can be protective. Um, however, the, the issue is when our memory is so good at holding onto itself in our body, and when the danger no longer presents itself in the real world, we kind of just freezing ourselves because of any trigger. And that, that is when the problem really happens and 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 that's carol and bella and also colin were sharing as well and what i really thought it was going to be one of my kind of ending remarks i'm going to bring it shift it a little bit more forward is actually what we need to do when we work with trauma is what i think is one of the main thing um because i think most of us here are either therapists or someone who want to help other people is to first of all explore, uh, I think Freud would call it shadow side, like what our own trauma is and what our own shadow is. Because as we were all saying, when we hear story like these, even though I have not been to war zone or met that many, well, I've met some dead bodies, but not as to that scale and not to that, that intimate level, listening to stories trigger certain response within me and certain I would say shadow self or um, old traumas I may not have dealt with can resurface and I may not be as grounded as Colin would have been in that case and I would one not be able to help the other person which is a shame but two also put myself into danger so I think it's very important that if we do have the aim of helping people with trauma to actually be quite brave and to to keep exploring what our own shadow side is and almost like have a little bit of therapy to ourselves. Um, as a doctor in general, we don't really have that rule of thumb, um, although we have been encouraged to keep ourselves in good health. Uh, but as a psychiatrist, because uh, that's the specialty I recently gone into, we actually have been encouraged to kind of have therapies or have like a support group a group therapy sessions where we can actually support each other for cases and what in what kind of emotional response or memory that we have so and I, I know again we have a lot of yoga teacher yoga students or yoga therapists in this room and I think sometimes supervision may not always be the most um, commonly available mechanism and Colin's very good at setting that up for us as a trainee group at the moment but I think it's something that should be looking into because it is really helpful it is helpful not only for our clients patient but also for ourselves. sorry now i and i i shifted my ending remark forward it feels a little bit all home so i'm gonna say goodbye <laughs> you're not saying goodbye just yet um it, not having that um sorry damn i was just gonna go pour the wine and go lie down now <laughs> can you just um recap on something i'm going to ask you um about scar tissue so the question is where does memory reside and memory resides everywhere so memory is everywhere it's not just in the brain or not in the mind but it resides everywhere so if what happens is that let's say i create an incision into the body so we let's if we take a an operation like a very successful operation like a hip operation hip operation you insert into it you replace the hip the person is up and walking again the next day correct yeah um up and walking the next day most successful operation you can have but the trauma of the actual incision into and the cutting of the sort of various different parts of the bone and all these bits and pieces it creates an effect and there's also a memory that happens in the area and roughly i would say it takes from my experience about a year for the body to recover from any type of trauma invasive trauma like this so this is a physical sort of thing that's happened and so there becomes a scar tissue a scar tissue sort of almost in a way starts to bind things together very strongly doesn't it it actually over strengthens the area where the trauma has been 
So this is something that happens on a bodily, natural level. I have a, an idea because I feel that in the same way, this is what we tend to do on a psychological level as well. We it, almost that there has been this type of strong, almost incision or something that's happened. So the guy with cancer I'm speaking to today, he 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 is just saying, like, you know, I don't know what to do to release it. You know, I just don't know what to do because in one way, I want to go there and work directly into it. But in another way, everything is telling me to avoid it. There is a real fear that's coming up for me to actually avoid what's happening. So he says, I know I need to face it. I know I need to go there. I know I actually need to face this trauma that's actually happened. But on the other side of it, it's just, I, I can't bear, you know, the body is, is doing this to protect it. And also within his mind and how he's linking with it there's also this going on this movement backwards happening as well does this make any sense because i think that it's this is an idea that's just not just about physical but actually within the traumas that we've experienced we probably do very very similar things we almost we knit reality back together ever so tightly in a way so that what happens is that sometimes within traumas, especially when you start to look at very sensitive areas like traumas of abuse, um, which occur, uh, can occur in any different situation, we have different mechanisms that we deal with with those traumas. And sometimes those traumas can actually become very, very hidden because we actually knit and mesh a reality around them that actually look to sort of, and we don't want to go there with them as well. Does that make any sense, Stanford? Yes, and I think I think I'll add a little bit more about the recovery as well, because if if that's okay with you, because I, I I as some of you know, I used to be obstetrician, so I regularly do cesarean section, and then also regularly perform cesarean section on women who might have had surgery before or had cesarean section itself before. Mm. And, and the interesting thing, as you said. So, so the recovery process really started very, very quickly, almost as soon as you go in, it's already trying to recover, but sometimes it's trying to stop the bleeding, sometimes it try to pull the bleeding a little bit more into the area so like nutrients and oxygen can go in. And I think that's related to a little bit of this tightness that a few of us already been sharing. When we first have this trauma, we feel tired because the body trying to rest and pull all these resources to start healing. Now, in terms of the scar, actually within two to four, Four weeks is more or less patched it's kind of killed over the scab is there underlying it's slowly getting better but it almost feels better and in some way just like Colin's saying that's that almost feel quite similar to a, a psychological and emotional trauma too because in two to four weeks time it's like feeling a little bit better already like it's not so fresh you're not bleeding all the time it's the pain is not so bad as well but you know it's there now, over the next few months, usually three to four months, what seems to happen is, as Colin's saying, it overstrengthened. You've kind of gone a bit overboard. You try to feel a little bit extra stronger because you want to get better. And sometimes what we see is then this, this is also kind of the period where people start digressing into a few different types of healers. Some people heal. Maybe it's a body type, maybe it's how they naturally are, maybe it was what they do, what they eat, we're, we're not sure, but they overheal and they form a lot of adhesions and scar tissues and they get over overly strong. Now that seems to be good because the place that is weakened is really well supported, but the problem is, is the whole area becomes so seized up. Like again, I used to operate on uterus, so it's actually meant to be a free-flowing organ that can expand and contract not only during babies being inside, but also when period is happening, when your bowel is full, when your bladder is full. It's meant to be movable, but when it's being so immobilized, actually causes issue, causes a lot of pain, causes a lot of like this ongoing traumatic response. So that's one type. There's another type that seems to heal very very well, but this kind of overstrengthened response over time get lessened and it, that area is healed. There's no issues, but there's always a weakness there. You can always kind of easily reopen like in the next pregnancy. I'm going to keep using obstetric uh, example because that's why I'm used to. Um, like another baby or another surgery can easily open up again. And that is again, quite similar to 
a psychological trauma as well, where you know something can easily trigger a response once again, like we mentioned earlier on. And there is a type of healer that seems to be somewhere in the middle, um, where you can see the scar tissue. You know that something happened there, but it hasn't gone overboard. It's not overly weakened. It's kind of strong enough, but you know it's there. Um, and yes, in about a year's time, is more or less better, more or less normal, but it, the, the true healing comes much, much longer and it still keep refining. And I think that's this refining process that I think is quite interesting to explore because it makes it one, makes it less universal because everyone like bereavement, let's take bereavement. In the old money term, we usually say anything more than 46 weeks is abnormal bereavement response. Now, I only lost very few, very fortunately, very few of my loved ones. But I don't think everyone can say, you know, in 46 weeks time, you feel better and feel normal and you don't lose and you don't cry about your loved one anymore. I think one, it depends on the quality of relationship. Two, it depends on how long the relationship has been. And three, depends on you, depends on the other person, depends on a lot of other factors. Um, and I think I think it's to have this adaptive, um, knowing that as an adaptive response, how each and every single one of us heals very differently um, is actually very important. Is that helpful, Colin, or am I rambling on? No, no, no. You've, you've actually, the, the, the parallels are between the sort of the gross physical structure and the way that our mind and subtle and emotional structure is working is very 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 similar and the the different routes that we start to take based on the different way that we perceive the traumatic event um, because there will start to be different outcomes for different people based on traumas um, and I think sort of for the one of the, the important questions from the starting point when working with trauma is, is that someone may want to, you know, quite often people know that there's something not right. Does that make sense? You kind of, a lot of the time people, well, something isn't right. And quite often we haven't identified it as a trauma. We haven't sort of said, this is definitely a trauma. So we identify that something's not right, but we haven't sort of said, you know, this is a trauma. And so for me, it's, it's beginning to listen very, very carefully, but also understand where someone is with regard to how they want to face what's happened to them and what sort of thing is going on within them. So for me, the start, this is the, almost the starting point is do, you know, they may want to do something, but are they actually ready? Is the, is the, is the body ready, is the structure ready? Because quite often what's being presented is a huge amount of either agitation within the mind. So the person's exceptionally agitated or the opposite direction where it is, is someone is absolutely exhausted. So the, you know, there, there tends to be sort of two ends of the spectrum that's actually being presented. Um, and I need, I know that in order to work with, even to start to work with it, I, I need to be able to settle someone's mind. I need to be able to get the mind to a right state and a right kind in order to begin to even work with this. And this is not just one session, it's a series of actual things that need to be set up because in order to deal with a trauma, I need to get the mind sort of in a settled place. Um, from there, it's how do I get someone to feel more like themselves? And the reason that these sort of three steps almost need to happen is that before we even begin to face a trauma, is that someone needs to be in a, in a quite a good, you know, stable place. Otherwise, things are going to keep repeating themselves again and again and again and again. So I spend quite a lot of time in this area. Um, and that is what Della and Carol were talking about when the, we were looking at this PTSD situation, is that a lot of the time it, it's 
we don't know what we're going to be faced with. Often in deep, deep, deep traumatic situations, you actually don't know what's going to come to the surface. And I've been, I've worked again and again with people that have been abused in childhood. And almost in a way, I, I don't know how to say this, how this will come across. I'm really sorry if it comes across in the wrong way. Is that for me, it becomes very obvious very quickly through the interaction what's happened. But for the person, they actually don't know what's gone in their childhood. And so how do I get someone to a point where actually they begin to realise what's going on and happened in them? And they're actually back, you know, what, what's... Am I making sense for this, Stanford? Yes, and I think you brought up a point which is very important which is the identification and what how you identify with it and and how you settle the mind when when you may the client may or may not identify with it and I think one of the really beautiful definition that I I read from my research is our, our trauma response or our response to trauma is actually the normal response to an abnormal situation so just like Lauren saying how she don't often nap and suddenly feel very, very tired after being yelled at by some of her clients or one of her clients. Uh, and and that, is an, that is an abnormal situation and your experience and your response to it, you feeling tired, you want to rest is actually very, very, very normal one. And I mean, I can relate to that very personally because I have a, a patient's family yelled at me for about an hour and a half last week <laughs> and I'm laughing about it now but at the time it really did drain me because it took a lot of energy and I would say stamina and focus to kind of remain focused and stay there so even just physically stay in the room and after that I feel completely drained and 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 you know that's not normally me on on the Friday afternoon Friday night I usually do feel a little bit brighter because weekend is there but I think after that, a normal event has happened, I responded very, very differently. And I think, Colin, you're right. Sometimes, especially childhood or sexual uh, abuse trauma individuals, um, they, they have a certain way of protecting themselves or there's certain habits that is a protective mechanism that can be more obvious to an experienced eyes. But that's, I think, because we recognize that is the normal experience to the trauma. And they mean, even though they may not re, um, uh, kind of recognize that themselves. And I think one of the good way I would say to help them to settle is actually to reassure them. This is after all normal, you know, what you are doing and displaying is normal because I think some, a lot of the time, not some of the time, a lot of the time, what we will say to ourselves is why aren't I, behaving better why aren't I past this already why aren't I you know resolve with this um we I, I was just watching kind of like a period drama yesterday about soldiers coming out coming back from the war the second world war I think and they were saying one of the characters was saying oh we all thought we're coming back to the picket fence home and enjoying life and having a good job but nothing's the same. We, we either don't want it or we don't get it or we don't slot back into it because they've been through such a traumatic place. Actually, there's no normal for them or their normal has been shifted so far to left or the right spectrum. You, you can't expect yourself to be back in that normal middle ground state anymore. And I think it's that reassurance or a reassurance that we can hold that space for them is I think is one of the key things to have or to provide it's for me a trauma is a change does that make any sense it, it, it's, it's a paranormal it's a change um it, it it diverts someone's course you know there's an intervention that diverts someone's course. There's a there's something's happening in life, and this is an intervention that it either diverts the course or it mixes with their course in their life and influences it, or it actually stops the course of the flow of their life. Does that make any sense? So for me, it's a change, and it's a change that when you're working with people that have experienced trauma 
you're beginning to see, as Stan was saying, is that you'll start to see the the way that the projections, how they project, how they behave. The roots of patterns that they're actually coming to take, how they take those patterns and navigate them is based on how the trauma is embedded within the whole framework of the actual organism itself. I like the word that you used earlier today, which is healing. And healing is the, is the natural propensity of the organism. So it's actually the organism wants to heal from the trauma. That's it's what it wants to do. And everything that we put into the organism, so if we whatever we put into it is there to aid the healing process. And but other things that we put into it prevent that healing process from occurring. So for me, there's a kind of like a series of stuff that's around this to actually understand what how this this kind of like this this organism, which is very individual, it's it's you know it's a body mind belief emotional matrix that's experienced a, 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 a some kind of deep thing within it that's then it's compensated for that. So there's been an aspect of scar tissue, whether that scar tissue is deep and emotional scar tissue, or whether it's something else within the experience and the memory that's been imprinted on it. And then how is that actually combined with the flow of how the the, the life has, has, has got it gone and what what how's that dealt with the change of that trauma and how's that molded it? And then what are the projections and patterns and behaviors that are coming out of it? Because they're the expression on the surface that we get to see of what's going on deep within it. Yes, and also at the same time, I think, while working through trauma as well, and which is part, part of my current day job is sometimes psychological help or therapy can be useful but actually at the same time one of the caveats is while we are working through this healing process and revisiting what could have traumatized us in the past and what is the current symptoms actually can be very very re-triggering as well and and it one it takes a lot of courage for anyone to actually just say that they have issues and they want they want to work through them but even though that is the case, that is that that still takes a lot of trial and tribulations to slowly go through the process. And sometimes that trial and tribulations involve testing with different therapists as well. Um, I was looking at a lot of websites of like support groups, how how people can find the right therapist, and are saying that you need to be able to feel comfortable discussing your problem with the person. You need to feel the therapist understood what you're talking about, what your concerns being taken seriously, or were they minimized or dismissed? Are you being treated with compassion and respect? And do you believe they can grow with trust with that person? And while I'm reading through that list, I actually remember quite a few patients where, where they have shared stories with me where they feel very re-traumatized by a certain therapist or they don't think they're the most professional. And actually that that the healing process, that supposed healing process is very traumatized for them and they, they need to like heal even further from that. Now, I, 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 those of you who know me, sometimes I'm slightly more cynical, but in those moments, I like to be optimistic and think, actually, maybe those therapists are professional and they they didn't have an intention to, to hurt the other person or to be insensitive, to be mistrustful. But maybe it's a combination effect where through the communications, especially where one individual is already quite sensitive because that's what trauma do to us. We make us very, very sensitive um, because our body and minds are naturally lurking for danger all the time, kind of misidentify certain things. And the other person didn't recognize these cues when we've been re-traumatized already. Um, so one, so my, my caveat is one, as, as a therapist, ourselves, we have to kind of be brave and to be able to be criticized by our clients and patients where we are not doing a good job, we're hurting them, even though it is never going to be our intention um, or the purpose of the treatment. But at the same time, while we look for help and therapy ourselves, we have to keep an open mind and, you know, kind of believe in the, the good of people, um, think knowing that they didn't have these bad intentions either. Sometimes it may be part of 
what we are responding to or what we're being triggered by. And I think holding that, um, at least in my daily practice and rather maybe yoga or maybe it's medicine, it's helpful sometimes. Sometimes it needs, I need a bit of reminding, but sometimes it's helpful. It's interesting what you're saying because the it, tr trust is a is a very sensitive, very very sensitive thing, um, especially within the healing process. And to ensure that what's happening is there is a a the boundary that's in place is the appropriate boundary for the dynamic that needs to happen so with the lady that i was speaking to today i hadn't met this person before and they were just exhausted however i did say to them well actually i i think you need to explain a little bit more about what's happening because it looks like you actually need a big hug to me that's what it really looks like and so she started to cry and cry and she started to explain and she was explaining that how no one really is listening to her and listening to what she's saying she knows what's going to happen she knows what's happened but no one is really listening to it. It's almost like her voice is that of a child again. And so in a way, the trauma that she's going through right now within the battle that she's being presented with is also mirroring some of the traumas that she's been through in the past as well. And these sort of things are sort of colliding. And as you're mentioning, everyone that is interacting with her, because there's an oversensitivity that's occurring, is that many of them aren't giving the hope that, and the strength and support that she needs and to let her know there's going to be a reduction of pain. But a lot of people it, it, are, are very, very well-meaning, but there is a, it, with the, when there's this oversensitivity that's in place, you know, you could be the best at whatever or you could it just could be the wrong place the wrong time it could be many many different things to actually to get it to work um and i think we have to be very very sensitive in how someone's mind is working the irrational aspect of it the rational aspect of it with regard to the engagements of trauma and when we're working with people with trauma I also think that when we're dealing with it, we need to understand how someone's understood their situation or not understood their situation, how much they know about what's going on with them or not going on with them, or how they've created different stories or different ideas around this. So in quite sensitive areas, and when we've, we saw this with the PTSD, is there was a whole series of safety stories which were put in place in the PTSD client because it was it was that they were failed by the RAF, they were failed by the support afterwards. Everyone had failed them and all they wanted was to have this one thing and so there was a sort of a trap that was kind of put in place right the way around that would have to navigate rather than go into so a, for me trauma is a it, 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 it's it's like um it's like one of those rubik's cubes that everything's changed and, and it's like the green is over here the red is over there and you're like everything else looks exactly the same and you're like how do I swap these two bits around you know and I, I just do I do I pull one bit off and pull the other bit off and then just swap it like that and push it back in again or how do I turn the cubes in the right way so it looks a mess but then it goes back to being in order again um and and for me, working with trauma is very much like that. It's a, a slow process where there is support, there is reassurance, there is trust. 
and, and that means that from my perspective, it, it means that many, many people have lashed out at me and attacked me um, emotionally, physically, verbally. Um, you know, I, I remember one time one of the, I was doing a clinic and, and one of the ladies in the other room said she was just waiting to dial the police. You know, she said what the screaming that was coming out of that room. I had no idea what was going on. I mean, there's this yoga therapy, what was happening? Um, it wasn't me screaming, it was this other person screaming. Um, so I think, you know, we can get sort of every end of the spectrum within this. Um, but for me, it, it, it's, it is about how the memories are residing, what the relationship with that memory is, how that memory has a relationship with the person, or the person has a relationship with the memory how those start to play out in lots of different patterns in lots of ways. Will, is the person naturally going through the process of healing from it? So are they going through a grieving process or are they going through a, a, a natural process? Or is it that actually what's happening is the scar tissue is coming in more and more and knotting the whole thing up? Is it that it's hidden you know, deep down inside and actually they don't know what's happening? but they kind of know something's not right and they know you know they're searching and seeking to deal with it or is it that they just kind of they're going around and go there's something wrong and if you start to move towards it they're like hang on a second you're not going to come and touch that because it's going to really hurt and they will run away from you um so you know there's many sort of things that you're kind of presented with within the whole of this yeah and i think the only thing i will really add into your curve care plan other than trust being sensitive care and um, supportive it's also time um like you said uh, up until you give the the example of the rubik's cube because at, at 33 years old i still comes over rubik's cube yes i'm not sure that would be uh, the appropriate example saying that time will actually allow me to solve that i'm not sure um but but we all work through trauma differently, as we keep saying the whole time. Um, we all respond and deal with trauma very, very differently. And I, I sometimes think it's very much well, like a heartache, you know, where, well, after breakup, the heartache you have, which is in itself a trauma. You can keep doing the right thing over and over again, keep talking to your friends, keep going out exercise, having a better lifestyle. But... All these right things are helpful, or even though at the time it may not feel like it's the, they are helping. And someday, one day, when it suddenly all worked and you no longer feel the pain or the pain seems to be less significant, you look back and realize you've been doing all the right thing. But actually, the most important thing is you have given yourself the time and the patience for the pain to pass as well. So I think I think that's the other thing as, as, a, as a therapist, as Colin was saying, yes, we have to be very sensitive, but also have to be what I've learned is to be very, very patient because some that, that is a natural flux of getting better, getting worse. And sometimes due to us, maybe we're not being sensitive enough. Sometimes it's not due to us and we have to be patient enough for both of us in that room. Um, as, I, as well as what I said earlier on about making sure that we look after ourselves and make sure that we're grounded and have dealt with our, or at least looked into our own shadow side a little bit. So that would be my take home message today. And, and also for me, there isn't, what I see is that there isn't a, a go-to solution for trauma. There isn't, I haven't come, you know, there's many people that want to do programs and various other bits, and this is a, but from everything that I've experienced and seen is that gentle movement, um, breathing, uh, all the, very very gentle side of things really 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 help a lot so just very small gentle movements really really help with trauma um, larger movements tend to almost overstimulate and and cause an issue so when i'm working with trauma uh, whether it's um, moving house right the way through to cancer scar tissue right the way through to and, and, and the whole cancer process or whether it's um dealing with you know deep cases of of abuse it, it, it's there's a, there's a vulnerability with 
people when they're working with their bodies and to settle them first of all and to again use the very very smallest movements to settle the body become the crucial starting point for me um and I, I still haven't found, and I've come across many, many methodologies which say, you know, this will do this, this, and this. And as Stanford was saying, is that also to remove time frames, to remove expectations, also become hugely important that you get much more success when the expectation, the time frame has been removed. And there is just this, this kind of process of just allowing everything to start to move in a good direction again. So here we are, I think another topic that we can spend another hour on, which in some way may be positive because we are close to the end of this round of alphabet, so we might actually revisit trauma very soon again at some stage, I don't know. Um, but yeah, I think, shall we call it goodbye for now? Yeah. And, 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 and for those of you that are interested, if you take and, and know Yoga Sutra very well, is that if you take the first chapter of Yoga Sutra, you can actually go through the first chapter and actually reflect on it with regard to trauma. So if you, you know, you begin at something like Yoga Sutra 130, which is, um, which is Vyadi, um, it, it gives different ideas of sort of illness, of laziness, doubt, haste, apathy, addiction, false notion of self, lack of perseverance. Um, and almost a regression in behavior. And for me, these are almost signs of trauma within the system. And, you know, the next sutra after that is saying, well, you know, where are they manifesting? Is, is it emotionally? Is it mentally? Is it physically? Is it within the energetic system? So if you kind of start with those sort of sutras and then sort of build out the others around it, you'll start to see that actually the whole of the first chapter, you can actually, you can actually translate it with regard to trauma. It's very, very interesting. So it's just a, a guidance because it, it's it's kind of I, I I think it's very interesting to view it through the eyes of trauma. Cool. Fantastic. So I think we'll see hopefully both of you next time at you, which is for unknown causes. Brilliant. Thank you so much for coming, everyone. <laughs> Thank you very much.